0: When a wicked man rules, the people groan, which is why I'm glad we're going to have an election real soon. Verse 9: Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I'm pure from my sin? No one. No one is pure in thought, no one is pure in word, and no one is pure in activities. We're all sinners, and we all need grace. Even as it says in Psalm 51, verse five, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. My mother conceived me. So no one can say I've made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. See, the way that our heart is cleansed and our sin is cleansed is through the blood of Christ. And so no no person can proclaim their own goodness. No person can say I've made my heart clean because we don't do that. We we cannot work our way into the kingdom of God. There are Every religious as a matter of fact, every religion outside of true Christianity teaches that you're saved by your works. Every one. If you look at every religion, you can look at Islam, you can look at Judaism, you can look at aberrational quote unquote Christian cults like Mormonism and they Jehovah's Witnesses and others like that, and they will they will say that you're saved by your efforts, that you have to do good things. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible says that there's none good, no, not one. And the Bible teaches there's only one who has ever been good, that's Jesus Christ. And that's why we sinners need a savior because God's standard for entrance into the kingdom of God isn't that we tried our best because my best always falls short of the glory of God. God's standard is perfection. I don't have perfection, therefore, I need to receive it. That's what is called imputation, When you study your Bible, you'll see a theological concept called imputation. He imputes to us or gives to us something we don't possess. And what he imputes to us is righteousness. He has given to us his righteousness because all our righteousness, Isaiah said, is as filthy rags. And so what God does is he clothes us with robes of righteousness. He washes us with the blood of Jesus. And he makes us righteous. And so we need a savior Because no one can say, I've made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. Verse 10, diverse weights and diverse measures. They are both alike an abomination to the Lord. God hates dishonesty in business. We're to have integrity in business. Verse 11, even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. That's that's so basic, isn't it? It's true. Even a child is known by his deeds. There, there, it's easy for us to say, Oh, I believe in Jesus. I I love him with all of my heart. And, and 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 I and I hope we do. I hope we love him, of course. But if somebody is telling me how much they love the Lord, there's going to be a pattern of their life that demonstrates that what they're saying is true. No, I'm not saying, and I start with myself, I'm not saying that. That they'll be perfect because, of course, again, none of us is 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 perfect. We all need help. And 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 two, um, no, I don't run around looking at people's lives just to say, oh, you're not towing the line, you're not righteous, you're going to hell. I don't do that either, <laughs> except for Marie. But um, but the bottom line is, is conduct does reveal character, and a consistency of a life will reveal a genuine faith. Consistency. Again, all fall short of the glory of God. You didn't wake up this morning, more than likely, you did not wake up this morning saying, I'm going to find several ways to blow it today and ruin my testimony. You probably didn't. Maybe you did. I don't think you did. But on the way to work, somebody wasn't going the speed limit. Or they ran through a stop sign. Or they waved at you with one finger, and it was in a nice moment, <laughs> and something happened, and you got angry, or something frustrated you, whatever it happens does that does that disqualify us from the kingdom? No, it simply shows our need for a savior. but what if that's my lifestyle every day? What if every day I blow it every day I, and I don't care. every day, you know I lose my temper. On the weekends or whenever I can, I party, I sleep around, whatever. And then I say, no, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, even a child is known by his ways. Even a child can be seen by their, their conduct. So parents can see traits in their children. And when they see certain traits, they can encourage them because they're great traits. Or they can redirect them. So you watch your child. And you see certain things about them, and you encourage them to take the right path. And so even a child, again, is known by his deeds. Verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord made them both. Hearing ears. (laughs) When he says the hearing ear, that's a reference to hearing and obeying. The seeing eye is not just that we have the ability to visually see things it speaks of discernment so uh, uh, an ear that is hearing is an ear that is willing to be taught and the eye is willing to be discerning taking what we are being taught and putting it into practice so god gives us hearing and our vision and we are accountable for how we use them verse 13 do not love sleep Do you love sleep? (laughs) Do not love sleep. Lest you come to poverty, open your eyes, and you will be satisfied with bread. Another way of saying diligence produces prosperity, but laziness ends up in poverty. Verse 14. It's good for nothing, cries the buyer. But when he's gone his way, he boasts. People like to haggle. And later on, they do like to boast about the deal that they made. I've seen that many times. If you go to Israel, there are places that you may go to where haggling, you know, arguing over prices um, are, are really expected. It's just part of what they expected, this particular marketplace or whatever. And there are some places we've been where they will haggle with you. And so they'll say, oh, for you, I'll give you a special deal. It's ten uh, dollars. And uh, and then you'll say, oh, okay, because Americans will go, oh, okay, and they'll give them ten dollars, and they'll just smile at you. But the wise person, in certain conditions, wise in the sense of understanding what's going on, will say, are you kidding me? Ten dollars for that? I can, I, I'll give you three. <laughs> and they'll go, you're insulting me. How can you say that? How am I going to feed my children? And then you say, I don't know, I hope you can, but I'm not going to give you ten dollars. And then he'll say, okay, 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 okay. And I've seen it. I haven't done it. I've seen it. Okay. Eight dollars. Eight dollars. And you're breaking my heart. And, and then you go, no, no, no. No, I can't give you eight, but it is worth more than three. I'll give you five. 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 You might as well leave, but don't. I'll tell you what, let's meet at seven. You in your mind, you're already thinking six. And so you say, I'll give you six. (sighs) For you only, my friend. (laughs) Right? I I have some people who've been with me in Israel. You know what I'm saying is true, don't you? You know what I'm saying is true. It's not always true. Some places will say, get out of here, you know, but most don't. You know, it just depends on where you're going. And then what do you do? You take it to the tour with the two and you say, look what I got. I only paid six bucks for this. (laughs) That's what he's talking about. That's what he's saying here. It's good for nothing, cries the buyer. But when he's gone his way, he boasts. Look what I got for six bucks, man. I should have bought two. That's what they do. Okay, it's true. Verse 15, there is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. It is more rare to find dispensers of knowledge than finding gold and precious stones. And that's true. Verse 16, take the garment of one who is surety, a cosigner, surety for a stranger Hold it as a pledge when it is for a seductress. What an interesting phrase. Taking a garment is one way of holding someone responsible to pay their debt. And the point of this is people should be held to their obligations. Verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. But afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Sometimes people will 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 lie to get what they want it's deceit they're lying to get what they want and, and for them it's a sweet thing they like it it's tasty they like what they're doing that's the point but he's saying things acquired by dishonest means never satisfied completely initially they may they may you may like it a lot but ultimately he says it will result in serious injury uh, when he speaks about uh, the mouth uh, being filled with gravel. It's another way of saying the teeth will be broken by the gravel. So it's injurious. So somebody may like it, but the end result of that is never good. Verse 18. Plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel, wage war. There are so many applications to this in practical daily living. But if you want To be fruitful in your plans, it is always wise to get the best advice you can get. Always wise. An individual who doesn't ask other people's opinions and even ask advice of others or makes use of other people's experience is not a wise person. If we think that we can make our decisions without the help of other people, we're making a big mistake. It's always a good idea to ask. Now, I'm not saying to follow what other people do without thinking things through. But if you're making plans, there may be something somebody else knows that you don't know. And so it's just a good idea to ask questions. And I'm telling you, this is true in a variety of things, in a variety of things. I I, I have people ask me questions and advice. It's funny. I don't know why they do. I'm no expert in anything, but sometimes they'll ask me advice about things that I don't even know. I'm no expert on that, but they'll ask, well, what do you think about? And I think it's because they're just asking and getting advice, just see if it kind of fits in with what they were thinking. Sometimes I I have thought I need to do a certain thing, whatever it may be, and and I have pastor friends who've gone before me, who've done things. And I'll say, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? My, my own pastor, Chuck Smith, when, when he was alive, I, uh, I learned how to communicate with him. Because if you walked up to Chuck Smith and you said to him, I'll give you an example. I did this. I walked up to Chuck on one occasion. I said, Pastor, I said, I'm, uh, I was thinking of doing this and I was thinking of doing, doing it this way. And I was actually asking for advice. But the way I said it, I said, yeah, I, I, I'm planning on doing this. So he looks at me. I'll never forget. He looks at me and he just smiles and he goes, oh, OK. That was it. So I walk away thinking, I guess that's a good idea. It wasn't. <laughs> so later on, another time, I walked up to pastor, my pastor and I said to him, Chuck, I've had, I have this opportunity And this is what's in front of me. What would you do? His whole attitude changed. Whole attitude changed. What would I do? I said, yeah, what would you do? And I'll I'll never forget. He says, oh, if it was me. That's how I learned to ask advice from my pastor. If I walked up and told him I was going to do something, he'd say, go for it. Because I was telling him what I was going to do. But when I walked up to him and learned to say, what would you do? That was an entirely different thing. Now I'm getting advice. Chuck didn't like telling me what to do, but he would tell me what he would do. And when I heard what he would do, I would mix that into the bag that I had. And then I could have more information to make a decision. It's always wise to ask opinions, especially from those who've gone before you those who know more, those who've been there. And that, I, I have to say, is just, is just a, a good advice. So for a plan to be fruitful, get good advice. Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Verse 19, he who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Be careful with those who talk too much. One of the most uh, practical—I'll use the word practical—pieces of advice my mother gave to me was was this. She said, "David, I'll never forget that." She said, "David," she says, "be careful because if somebody comes and speaks to you." about somebody else always remember that they're talking about you to somebody else that's a fact that was good advice anybody who comes and gossips to you about somebody else is gossiping about you to somebody else so be very careful that you don't open up the treasures of your heart to people who really shouldn't have those treasures be very careful even Jesus himself did not disclose himself to all men, for he knew what was in men. And so be very careful when you run around giving your problems to somebody because you may see your problems on Facebook tomorrow. (laughs) Verse 20, whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. When it says curses, cursing speaks of disrespecting, speaking poorly of. And the lamp, well, the lamp often speaks of life. In other words, if you go around cursing and disrespecting, speaking poorly of your family, you will have a short life. Verse 21 An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. You know, when it says gained hastily at the beginning, it may be like this an evil child, and the evil child basically drives away their parents or or makes plans or strives to get the inheritance that is promised them uh, quickly. And he says uh, somebody who does something like that, well, in the end, they're not going to be blessed. And as I was reading this, I couldn't help but think of the story of the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son, you know the story, it's found in the Gospel of Luke. The prodigal son went to his father and said to his father, give me my portion of my inheritance. And though he could do that it wasn't something against the mosaic law for a jewish son to ask the father to give him his inheritance um, before the father died by asking the father to give him his inheritance before the father died that was a high a very high insult it was it was in essence it was saying the prodigal son was saying to his dad i can't wait until you die so give me what is mine now and that's you know and then you know the story how the prodigal uh gets up he goes to a far country he wastes everything with prodigal or wasteful living and the bible speaks to us concerning the fact that that the, the the son is there wanting to eat the pods that would be feeding the swine and he's a jewish boy he's he's with the unclean pigs in a foreign land and he says to himself, you know, my father has servants who are eating better than I am. What should I do? Well, this is what I'll do. I'll go home and I'll speak to my father. and I'll say, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as a servant because he's got a plan. He's made a plan. What is going to get me back in the good graces of my father? I'll tell him I've been unworthy. My father's a merciful man and he'll welcome me back and and. He won't treat me as a servant. He's going to make sure that I'm back in the house. And that was a plan. Very often what we do when we <laughs> study the, uh, the story of the prodigal son is we think how it says he came to himself and said uh, that that was a point of repentance. But there's actually other application to that because if you look at it a little closer and you understand a little bit of the Middle Eastern culture of that day, you'd see what the boy was really doing. What he was really doing was formulating a plan how can I get back into the good graces of my father and get out of this pigsty is what he's really doing. Is he repenting? No, he's not. Now, when you read that story, the Bible speaks concerning the father seeing the son yet afar off. And the father went running to the son. If you know something again about Middle Eastern culture, you will know that a man, an older man never runs anywhere. He walks. The son, if anybody Should have been running. It's the son to the father. But you see the father running to the son. Why is that? Because at that time, that son who had dishonored the father, that son had been put on trial by proxy by the the town elders. And they had declared him to be forbidden to enter into the city. If they saw the son coming into the city, they could chase him. And maybe even harm him. And in some cases even kill him. And the father knew that. That's why the father is waiting for the son. Because he knows. That my son may one day appear over that horizon. And I had better get to him before they do. Because they can ban him from the village for the rest of his life or harm him. And that's why the father ran to the son. When the son sees the father running, that's what pierced the soul of the son. He didn't even give his full speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. That was his repentance. When he saw the grace and love and protective care of the father. And that's how the prodigal was welcomed back in. And that's where salvation is demonstrated in the story of the prodigal son, and so this this particular proverb just simply kind of foretells that story that Jesus gave, when it says basically that this inheritance gained hastily at the beginning isn't blessed in the end, because that boy had he not a father who went to retrieve him would have had a wasted life because of how he did that. Verse twenty two. Do not say I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord. He will save you. In other words, leave room for God to justly deal with the wrongs that have been done to you. Remember Romans 12:19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, rather give place to wrath. It's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 23. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord. Dishonest scales are not good. We already saw that sentiment in verse 10. Verse 24, a man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? And this is interesting. um, Well, it's all interesting, really. I shouldn't say it like that. But this is interesting in this way. I want you to notice something here. You wouldn't notice. I didn't notice it until I started studying and looked into a commentator who was pointing this out. And then I did some word searches and and he was right what he was saying. This is interesting and I'll point it out to you here. When it says in verse 24, a man's steps, the word man there, the first time the word man, a man steps, is a word that speaks literally of a mighty man. It's a Hebrew word that is usually spoke, used to refer to the mighty man, a man of power and strength, a mighty man, a man of valor. But the second time the word man is used, how then can a man understand his own way? The second time the word man is used is a different word. It's what is called a generic word. It, it speaks really of a human being. So the word man is actually two different Hebrew words. A mighty man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a human being understand his own way? Now, what's the thought? The steps of a great and powerful man depend upon the Lord because God controls the results. Man is responsible for his own actions, but God, by grace, directs the results of his plans. So we need to trust in the Lord as he directs us by his spirit and his word, because according to Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. And so if you want to be a mighty person in the Lord, you rely on the Lord to direct your footsteps. Instead of going out trying to do things because you think it's just a great idea, you ask God, Lord, what would you have me to do? And then the Lord will direct your footsteps. And that is a very basic thing that a lot of people don't ever learn. Verse 25, it's a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. You know, don't make rash uh, agreements. When you dedicate something to the Lord, don't take it back. In Numbers 30, verse two, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. You know, there are people who will, will say, you know, Lord, if you do this for me, I'll give you. And we, we try to bargain with the Lord. We try. I'll give you. I did that when I was first saved. I was brand new in Lord. And and I had heard somewhere about that they're supposed to give God an offering. And they used to have uh, I don't know if they still do on this particular radio Station they they would if you were the third person to call or the fifth person to call you could win a hundred bucks I didn't have a job And I was a new christian and god said if you ask anything i'll do it So i'm listening to the radio And i said god I want to be the third caller And if i'm the third caller i promise you i think it's ten percent i think i'll give you ten bucks So i dialed And i didn't win I'm telling you, I stay there all day. And I finally said, all I need is 10 bucks. God, I'll give you $90. At the end of the day, I was promising 90% rather than 10. (laughs) So sometimes we like to try and make uh, rash promises to the Lord. He says, that's not a wise thing to do. Verse 26, a wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. A wise ruler will purge wickedness out of the kingdom because he judges properly. Verse 27, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Uh, a person's conscience is what is being referred to. And so the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. It's a way of searching your heart. A person's conscience can either accuse you or excuse you. But remember this, the conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is your conscience. And sometimes uh, it's accurate. Sometimes I have a reason to feel bad and then sometimes it's not accurate and and i'm feeling bad for no reason at all and so your conscience is not the holy spirit your conscience is a moral barometer and but sometimes your conscience will accuse you and sometimes your conscience will excuse you and so you need to be aware of that because uh what happens is your inner depths can be searched but it's not you're not always a hundred percent um, right for feeling the way that you do because sometimes your heart is betraying you. Verse 28, mercy and truth preserve the king and by loving kindness, he upholds his throne. In other words, when a man pleases, the Lord, stability occurs. Verse 29, the glory of young men is their strength. The splendor of old men is a gray head. Unless you hate that gray, then you wash it away, Right? Uh, I'll say this quickly because we're almost through. When I first started going to Calvary Chapel, I was 20 years old and the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa was Chuck Smith. He was, he was an old man. And I looked at him as an old man. He was 43. It's an old man when you're 20. So I had a tendency of listening more closely to other young men. And I did not, for a while in my early days, value the counsel of the older, because I figured that those old people need to just get out of the way and let the younger ones roll on, because we know what should be done. And it took a while for me to realize that that pastor up there had forgotten more than I had ever learned, and I began to realize that his experience was something that would benefit my life if I had the wisdom to listen. You see, one of the one of the mistakes that I have made in that. The young do still make is trying to get wisdom from those who have yet to experience life with any depth. We'll ask people their their um, advice on raising children when their children are one or two years of age. And 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 let's face it, man. I mean, when your kids four years old or five years old, they're easy. They're not hard. You're a lot bigger than them. Go to bed. Uh, Go to bed. When they're 16, 18, go to bed. Go to bed. (laughs) I don't want to go to bed. It changes, right? So over time, you you gain experience, and it's that experience that you're supposed to hand to other people. But sometimes younger people think that they're going to get better advice from people of their own age, and it it, it doesn't work. Um, two kings, uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Um, Rehoboam was a son of Solomon, and uh, he was given advice. he had asked for advice because a man named Jeroboam, who was really appreciated by the 10 northern tribes, Israel being divided into 12, the 10 northern tribes, um, they had rallied around the leadership of Jeroboam. And because Solomon had been what they considered to be very strict, they came and spoke to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and they said, listen, your father was pretty rough on us, and we're asking you if you want us to remain loyal to you as the king. Uh, we're asking you to lighten up a bit. And so if you do, we'll follow you. And so what happens is uh, Rehoboam gets some of the older counselors and he speaks to the older men and he says, this is what has been brought to me. What do you think? And they said, listen, if you serve them one day, they'll serve you the rest of their lives. Humble yourself. And he listens to them and then he says, okay, he goes to his friends that he had grown up with. And he says, this is what has been presented to me. What, you, what should I do? And they gave him advice. So he went back and he spoke to Jeroboam and he says, my father my father used whips. I'm going to use scor- scorpions. My father was harsh. I'm going to be much more harsh. And then Jeroboam says, what do we have to do with you? And he said, you know, to your tents, O Israel. And they rebelled. And that's when the 12 tribes ceased being 12 tribes. The 10 northern tribes followed the lead of Jeroboam, and the two southern tribes remained with Rehoboam. And how did that take place? Because because Rehoboam went to advice from the younger men and did not heed the counsel of those with experience. It's always wise to listen to those with godly experience. They've been there. They've done that. And that's the wisdom. The glory of young young man's is strength. The splendor of an old man, gray head. In Proverbs 16, 31, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it's found in the way of righteousness. And then finally, verse 30, blows that hurt, cleanse away evil as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. In general, physical punishment, can be very effectiveness effective. In Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. So sometimes corporal punishment when properly administered chastens and produces motivation for a changed life. It's not always the answer because not all people respond well to Corporate, corporal punishment. As I've said so many times on a close, you know, my kids were different. Each one responded differently. One you could spank and it didn't matter. The other one you'd speak to and it did. So the wise thing to do is make sure you discipline your child and find the way that's most effective.